Well, as a church, we have been looking at the first chapter of the Gospel of John uh, during our season of Advent together. Uh, And tonight we'll be in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18 for just a few minutes. Uh, So I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. If you're using a black hardcover Bible that are under some of those seats, uh, page 886 is where you'll find this text. John chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Would you pray with me this evening? Gracious God, your vision of peace and of wholeness comes to us both in sweeping revelations and in tiny signs of hope. Kindle our hearts this evening that we might be a hopeful people. Keep us from growing weary of waiting so that we do not miss the glory of your appearing. And even so, come quickly, O God. Amen. Uh, There's a lot in these few verses. So for tonight, uh, just focus your attention on that one line, verse 16. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is an incomparably pivotal moment in time. Uh, If you were to take a certain humanities class, Uh, taught by a certain history teacher who perhaps is even in the room with us this evening, you might, uh, as March rolled around, receive a class assignment to rank pivotal years in the history of the world. And it might even take the form of a bracket that looks like this. As you can see, this last year's class, uh, the championship was between 508 B.C., Uh, which is when the city of Athens established the foundations of a democracy, a world-changing event. I had to look that up, yes. I did not know that. Uh, 1789, which I did actually know, uh, is when the Bill of Rights was ratified, as well as the uh, beginning of the French Revolution. What you'll see actually on this chart uh, is noticeable also. Uh, There is no uh, inclusion of the year of Jesus' birth, uh, which is most likely, scholars think, about 4 B.C., Now, that's going to be uh, omitted from this bracket, uh, really, for one of two reasons. One, uh, perhaps because Mr. Jekyll does not think the year of Jesus' birth to be uh, particularly pivotal. But we know Mr. Jekyll, we know that's for sure not not the case. The other reason is because the year of Jesus' birth is so pivotal, uh, it's so uncontested, it would ruin the entire assignment to include the year of Jesus' birth on, on that chart. Why is the incarnation of Jesus Christ so pivotal? And has what we celebrate at Christmas become for you so familiar that you find yourself even this year forgetting what the big deal is? If that's the case, my prayer for you this evening is that your mind would be renewed, your heart would be stirred, not by novelty, but by way of reminder, the real difference that the incarnation of Jesus Christ makes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This means that human beings like us, like you and me, could see the very glory of God. 
the fullness of God in bodily form, as the Apostle Paul will write some years later in Colossians chapter 1. So in the most literal, genuine meaning of the word, this is awesome. Awe-inspiring, astonishing. It is a marvelous mystery. O monum mysterium, as the Latin Christmas hymn says. The full expression of grace, the full expression of truth, the full expression of God himself dwelling with us in human form. Not only does the incarnation establish truth about who God is and about what he has done in the world, not only is this meant to elicit all praise and all honor and glory from this world that he made and then entered into, as if that wasn't enough, what we read here in the Gospel of John is that you and I receive something, that we actually receive everything because of the incarnation of Jesus. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. We don't deserve it. We can't possibly earn it by our efforts, but we receive it anyway. How do we receive it? We receive it because of and through the incarnation of Jesus. So contemplate with me tonight just some of the grace that we receive because Jesus entered into our world and dwelt with us, among us. There's the grace of having a physical body. And of seeing that body as a gift, not as a prison to escape. You and I need not, as so many other religions and spiritualities throughout history and even to this day, draw a hard line and compartmentalize between the spiritual and the physical. Your body is good. And even beyond God creating our bodies, the incarnation imparts incredible worth to our embodied experience, to our embodied existence. So we work hard as did God the Son. We come away and rest as did God the Son. We eat and we drink and we laugh as did God the Son. We weep as did God the Son. We've seen before as a church family how the book of Psalms validates the human experience, how it provides for us camaraderie in every emotion of our lives and every experience that the human life entails. But even more than the book of Psalms, God the Son himself is the one who validates the human experience. We are not souls seeking to escape a bodily prison. We are body and soul human beings awaiting the consummation of the kingdom of God. And this is grace. There's also the grace of having a meaningful purpose in this life. We read and studied Ecclesiastes together this fall, and it's this comprehensive pursuit to find meaning and purpose in life where this preacher king, the author, keeps coming up empty. And he concludes it's all vanity. It's all smoke. It's here today and it's gone today. At one point he writes that rather than confront all of the vanity that this life is, it actually would be better for him never to be born at all. But in the incarnation, God the Son is born. Do you ever think about that? That Jesus didn't just appear as a fully formed human. He became flesh and blood inside the womb of Mary. He entered the world through the body of Mary. He was born. And so we can say definitively, no, Koholeth, it's it's not better that we should never have been born because God the Son himself was born. And he lived an earthly life in communion with God the Father, advancing the purposes of God the Father. And likewise, there opens for us an opportunity to use our vapor of a life in a way that embodies, in a way that advances the kingdom of God. And so your life, my life, our lives on this earth are anything but 
futile and vain. And this is grace. There's the grace of suffering, even suffering. Because Jesus took on flesh, he then suffered in the flesh. And therefore, our suffering not only becomes meaningful, it becomes one of the ways we can most identify in this life with Jesus himself. Apart from the incarnation, God doesn't suffer. He might lament and grieve, but he suffers in the flesh because he first took on flesh. He suffers in the flesh, we read in Hebrew, so that he might sympathize with us, that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. And therefore, because of his fullness in bodily form, we can become like Jesus in his sufferings. So that, as the Apostle Paul will write in Philippians 3, we might also someday, somehow, share in his resurrection. And this is grace. There's the grace of access to God. Paul writes, there is one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The man, Jesus Christ. God the Son becoming a man is what secures our access to God. And in embodied form, Jesus dying, rising, ascending to the right hand of the Father, he ever lives and pleads to intercede for us. He invites us, he calls us to make our requests known to God. He calls us to draw near to the throne of grace, get this, with confidence that we might find grace to help in our time of need. And this is grace. Ultimately, the incarnation secures the grace of our salvation. God the Son comes into this world to save, to redeem. He comes to buy back and to restore all that sin has fractured and broken in this world. Far as the curse is found, as we've sung together in the hymn, Joy to the World, this Christmas season, this Advent season. Central to that redemption, Jesus redeems broken and fractured hearts of men and women like you and me. And through his perfect human life, through his death in our place, through his resurrection from the dead, Jesus lays hold of the saving grace of God for us. Hebrews 2 says, Because we the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of these same things. Why? So that through his death, his bodily death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. He, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, for surely it is not angels he helps. Jesus did not come become an angel in order to help fallen angels. It says he helps the children of Abraham. And therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to make substitutionary atoning sacrifice for the sins of people. This is the grace which saves us. This is the grace which sustains us. And this is the grace which over and over again will comfort us, give us peace, stir up our joy, stir up our hope. That what Satan and sin have sought to destroy, what they have sought to devastate, will be redeemed by God the Son, God made flesh. The fullness of God, the light has shown in the darkness, as we just heard from our scripture reading, and the darkness has not overcome it. This grace also fixes our eyes to watch and to wait. For what? For what? Not only for the second advent, for Christ's return, but for the inexhaustible grace that God will lavish upon us in days to come. 
In Ephesians chapter two, Paul writes that in the coming ages, God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In other words, it will take not only your lifetime, it will take all of eternity for God to pour out his grace on his people. All of eternity. And I can't even pretend to comprehend that for even a moment, that there will never come a day where God stops pouring out his grace on you and on me. All of that is ours. We receive all of that because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You can't outrun it. You can't outsin it. You can't even outlive it because it will take the rest of eternity for God to pour it out on you. So men and women, wearied and burdened and broken down by sin, your own and the sin and the effects of all of it in the world around you, rejoice. Rejoice. Weary world, rejoice. May you taste the grace of God this Christmas, whether that's for the first time or for the 10,000th time. May it magnify your appreciation for what Jesus has accomplished through his first coming. And may it renew and sustain and magnify your anticipation until he comes again. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, according to the riches of your glory, grant each of us to be strengthened with power by your Spirit. As Christ came to dwell in this world, among rebellious, broken, sinful men and women like us. May Christ likewise dwell in our hearts through faith. Rooted and grounded in love, give us strength to comprehend what is so overwhelmingly incomprehensible, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ and this grace of God that Christ himself has secured for us. It surpasses our knowledge and all praise to you, God, it surpasses the worth of everything else. Because of the fullness of Jesus, the fullness by which we rejoice tonight that we have, been, we have received grace upon grace, would you preserve us, would you sustain us with hope and with joy until, Jesus Christ, you come again. Amen.